how are you enjoying your journey through the book of Ephesians? Yeah. It's good, isn't it? Very exciting book. And I want to warn you this morning that as we look at the church in Ephesians chapter 3, it gets even more exciting. So you may have to repress some of your... No, we won't. We won't repress our emotions this morning, will we? As we get excited by the Word of God, we're going to express our joy, we're going to express our thanksgiving. You're allowed to stand up and do a little jig in the middle of my sermon. I've got no problems with that whatsoever. But what I would like to do is have a little bit of feedback, a little bit of hallelujah, because Daniel tells me this is a pretty uh, significant Pentecostal church here. So and it's on its way. And you've got Victoria Station over there. If they could hear us cheering, they'd come and have a look, wouldn't they? They'd come and see what we were talking about. And this morning, I do want to talk about the vital importance of the church of Jesus Christ in his purposes and in the world. And let me start by telling you this. 2,000 years ago, a man sat down to write a letter to convey to those who would read that letter and down through the generations to convey to them a passion that was burning in his heart that he just had to express. And he wanted to express to everyone who ever read this letter or had this letter read to them, this one great conviction of his heart, a great truth that had overwhelmed him, that had gripped him, that had become the focus and had become the passion of his life. And that man was Paul. And the letter was Ephesians. And the, his conviction was this, the most important thing on planet Earth, the most important thing that's ever been, the most important thing that is, the most important thing that ever will be, is the church of Jesus Christ. Pause for applause. Amen. Amen. And in a minute, we've got the privilege of opening up our Bibles and reading part of that letter, and it will thrill us. But first of all, I just want to tell you a brief story. Some of you in this room know this. But a long time ago, about 40 years ago, Rachel and I were praying because we had been born again at the age of 25. We'd been baptized in the Holy Spirit at the age of 31. And we found ourselves in a church that didn't really experience things of the Spirit. It wasn't freedom like we have here today. And so we were praying and we were fasting and we were seeking God. What's the next step for us? What do you want us to do? And around about 8 o'clock in the evening, a man knocked on the door and he said, I don't know why, God just dropped your names into my heart and he told me to come and give you this book. And the, the book he gave him was The Radical Christian Life by a man called Arthur Wallace. And I sat down and I read that book. And I tell you, by the time I closed that last page of that book, I thought, this is it. This is what I've been looking for all my Christian life, probably all my life, although I wasn't aware of it. I want to give my life completely to this. This is where I want to live my life, and I want to see and be part of building a church like this. And I went up to Rachel, and I said, Rachel, I've just read this book that Dave gave us. We've got to be. We've got to be part. Where is the nearest expression of this? Because we're going to go and be there because we wanted to be part of that church that Paul's writing about in the book of Ephesians. The church that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit had planned in the depths of eternity. Before one star was created, something was on their minds. And that is the church that Paul saw. That is the church that the Arthur Wallace wrote significantly about in that book that thrilled me. And actually, I'm here to tell you this morning, that is God's great plan for mankind. The truth that once you grasp it, changes everything. And as I read that book, suddenly I, I was gripped with that same sense of excitement and that same sense of passion that Paul must have felt as he tried to express it 
with every ounce of strength he had, crying out to the Holy Spirit to help him express it well as he wrote that letter to Ephesians. Now the background, I get, Daniel's very good at background. He probably covered all this in, in your first sermon, but Paul was the founder of the church at Ephesus. He spent two years there preaching and teaching and seeing people saved. He ran the first century equivalent of the Alpha course and people came and people got saved and then he had a discipleship course. And there in Ephesus, he laid the foundations of a great ministry that not only affected Ephesus, the city, but began to spread out across that whole region and was spreading out now across the world. And during his time there, he saw tens of thousands of people saved and added to that church. And every one of those people who were saved in Ephesus and added to the church in Ephesus, every one of them was exposed to Paul's great passion that the church of Jesus Christ had always been God's purpose both in creating the world itself and sending his son into this world and now there he was in Rome in chains because of his great conviction and his refusal to ever back off of this vision and to keep preaching it wherever he wants he was unrested he was in prison and now he's writing to the church in Ephesus the people that he loves so much to remind them of who they were to remind them of their position in the world, to remind them of the incredible calling that was upon every one of them, that they had an identity, that they had authority in the world, that they weren't just the children of God, they were the people of God together, and they had a great work before them. And he wanted to tell them again and again and again that they were to follow Jesus, not simply as individuals, not simply as a group of individuals, but they had been called and joined together by the Holy Spirit to display God's one great purpose for humanity to all creation and to anybody in the heavenly realms who was listening that they were there to build a community, that they were there to build a family, that they were there to build something very, very special where they themselves in Ephesus, and it ripples out to us here in London, they were to live a life to display the glory of God in their community. God's great plan for the human race. A place, and this is amazing, isn't it? A place where God could be seen, a place where God could be experienced, a place where God could do his work through people and who people would come among them and they would say, yes, I've been looking for this my whole life. This sense of community, this sense of belonging, this sense of purpose, a place where I can be myself, a place where I can be free, a place where I can experience the grace and the mercy of God, but more than that, to know a sense of family in God's purpose. And that's the prayer, isn't it, that you have here? As you put the banners out in the high street, as you put more banners out surreptitiously on a Sunday morning across every platform of Victoria Station, as you go and put some banners outside Westminster Cathedral and Westminster Abbey, this way, this way, that people are going to come in and they're going to find what? Not a few people worshipping, not a meeting once a week with a few extras in the week, but a family, a community where you can live and belong. Gordon Fee has written a book with a very fine title, the theologians like this title, Paul, the Spirit, and the People of God. And he says, to be saved, in Paul's view, means to become part of the people of God, who by the Holy Spirit are born into God's family and therefore joined together as one body. A people gathering together in the Spirit and being formed into God's temple. Isn't that wonderful? 
See, God is not simply saving diverse individuals across the face of this planet, preparing them for heaven the day when they die or the day he comes back. He is creating a living temple where he can dwell, be seen, experienced by the world around. And that's your role. That's why you're here. That's why we planted Trinity Church. That's why Steve and Daniel and the others, this is why this church has come into being, not to have another meeting place, not so we can boast, hey, we've got another church. We're a church planting movement. But because London needs a community. It needs a people who are expressing the purposes of God where they can come and feel and experience that sense of family. So that's our calling, to be part of this temple, to be part of this family, that every one of us in this room has been called by God to be living stones in a temple that he's building, a family joined together to become we're not just worshipping, we're a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. He's living, he's dwelling here, right now. He's among us. Yes, well don't get too enthusiastic, but it's okay. <laughs> I find that uh, we have to keep reminding ourselves about these things. That's why Paul, there he was in Rome, he was in James, and he was thinking, I spent two years there, I went over this and over this and over this, but I know what happens, it leaks, people forget, I'm going to write and remind them, you're it, this is it, this is your life, this is your calling, this was your destiny. Even when Jesus thought of you, as he lay on that cross, it was for a purpose, not that you might just follow him to heaven, but you might find each other in God's eternal purpose. And God's purpose is not just me, and God's purpose is not just you. God's purpose is us. Us. Never think of anything else but us. On our foundation course back at Hope Church, during that course we say to people, you'll know that you belong to Hope Church when you hear Hope Church mentioned in the street and you're not thinking, oh, that's, they're talking about the church I go to or they're talking about them. They're talking about us. They're talking about me and my family. If you ask various people, to define the word Christian, how often would you get a response that talks about being part of something? How often would you get a, an answer that says, yeah, it's about belonging to something, being added to something? Usually the response when you ask somebody, what is a Christian? You would get the response, well, someone who's given their life to Jesus. Someone who has asked Jesus into their heart. Or someone who believes Jesus died for them. But we need to change all that. What we've got to tell the world around us is it's about being part of God's family. It's about being adopted into God's family and belonging there. What was Jesus' mission in the earth? Why did he come? Why did the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, give up the glory of heaven, come down and be incarnated as a little baby and then grow into a man and teach around for three years in, in Galilee and die on the cross? It wasn't just for a group of individuals who follow into heaven. He came and he said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 28, I will build my church. That's what it was all about. If you missed that, you missed everything. And that's the great building project that Ephesians is all about. That's what you've been enlisted for. That's what you've been called to be. Listen, says Paul, I want you to understand something absolutely amazing. Not only through the blood of Jesus do you have access to God, but God himself by the Spirit has chosen to be in this world through 
us. Wow. This is it. There's no plan B, as Ray Lowe would say. It's us, nothing else. We are his body. If Jesus wants to say something in this world, he will say it through us. If there are people out there, they need someone to listen to, it's us. If someone needs to be touched and healed, it's us. If someone needs to go somewhere and to preach the gospel in a new place, it's us. It's all about us. And that's why it's such a tragedy that in so many places the church has become so parochial and full of individuals who just think they've joined a meeting. So many people have forgotten just how important the church is to Jesus. Ephesians 5.25, I guess you'll get there in a few weeks, won't you? God so loved the church that he gave himself. And that is why, brothers and sisters, we need this book. And that is why we need this letter to Ephesians. Because it's Paul's great reminder of the significance of who we are and what we've been called to. So we're going to read today's portion, which is Ephesians chapter 3, 1 to 13. I do hope it is. Otherwise, I'll freak out. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So chapter 3 starts in this way. I'm reading the NIV. For this reason... I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. He starts off for this reason. So we can't really ignore that, can we? What was the reason? And the reason is because no longer are you foreigners and aliens. Going back into chapter 2, verse 19. We're not that anymore. We are fellow citizens with God's people and we are members of God's family. God's household. And then he goes on in chapter 3. For this reason, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation as I've already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made, men, not made, not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. One people, Jews, Gentiles, every nation around the world, one people, one promise, one body, one family. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration or the working out of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in him. And through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. And I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, 
which are your glory. Now there's an important word that appears in that chapter four times. A very important word. Verse 3, verse 4, verse 6, verse 9. Anyone tell me what that word is that keeps propping up? Mystery. Who said that? Well done, AJ. AJ can read, folks. It's wonderful news. Right. This chapter is all about the revelation of a great mystery. A mystery that had been kept hidden for generation after generation. First, in verse 3, Paul tells us that this mystery was made known to him. God, Jesus, appeared to him. The Holy Spirit came to him. There's a time that he was in the wilderness, I think for 13 years in Arabia. There's a moment he describes in 2 Corinthians 12 where he says he was caught up into heavens. And suddenly, something was revealed to him. And he just, as a Jewish man, with all his knowledge of the Old Testament, all his thoughts about the kingdom of God and the purposes of God, suddenly, this mystery was revealed to him. So that's in verse 3. In verse 4, he says he wants to share this mystery with us. That's good news, isn't it? And then in verse 6, he tells us, he actually tells us what the mystery is. The mystery that's being revealed is this. Jews, the historic people of God, the ones who've been entrusted with the words of God right through the centuries, the ones who'd received the law, the ones who've been redeemed out of slavery to become God's people, God's nation, those people, and now the Gentiles, the rest of the world, are now being joined together in one family that will be God's people in the earth. No longer confined to one geographical place, he's telling us what that mystery is. Jews and Gentiles joined together as one body, a new community made up of people from every nation on earth. And then finally, in verse 10, he tells us what the incredible implications of that really are. Because once you know what God's plan is, there are implications of that for everybody in the world. Especially for us, who are now in on the mystery. And then after that, as you'll see next week, Paul prays. I'd like to come back next week and preach on that. I can't. He prays that the people of God will finally cotton on to what it means for us personally as followers of Jesus. I pray that God will show you this and you'll understand this and it will grip you like it's gripped me. And Ephesians chapter 3 is unambiguously all about a mystery. And we're going to focus on that mystery right now. But before we do that, there's something we all need to know before we can really begin to comprehend Paul's teaching here. And we need to know that the Greek word that Paul uses that's translated mystery in your Bibles is mysterion. And mysterion doesn't mean what we usually think a mystery is in daily usage. It doesn't mean it's mysterious as in something we can't understand. It doesn't mean something obscure. It doesn't mean something puzzling. It doesn't mean something incomprehensible. We need to know that the word that Paul is using here is not like that at all. It's not a mystery like the mysteries that we might have. You know, like, why is Trevor Payne so absolutely good-looking? I mean, that is a mystery, isn't it? It's, it's something that will never be explained. It's just the mystery. No, you can't fathom it. It's beyond the comprehension, really. In the Greek, 
The word mysterion actually means not something you can't understand, something incomprehensible. It means something hidden, something secret. It has more the sense of something which is unknown, but can be revealed and can be understood at that point. That's why in the ancient world at the time that Paul was preaching, the church was exploding, there were lots of religions in the world and they were called mystery religions. Not in the way that people in those religions didn't understand what was going on. Did you have a good time at your uh, cult today? I haven't got the foggiest idea what it's about. No, but in the fact that it was hidden. It was secret to them. It's a bit like, uh, what, what would we say today? Freemasonry. Or the Scientologists. They know what they're doing, but we haven't got the foggiest idea because it's a secret. They won't, the Mormons won't even let us in their temples to have a look, will they? So it's hidden, but for people who are involved... They understand it, but it's secret. So understanding that, what comes out of Ephesians chapter 3, what comes out of Paul's teaching in this chapter is this. It's not that the Christian faith involves believing something incomprehensible, mysterious, bewildering, but it's all about becoming aware of something that once was hidden, but now has been revealed. Paul is telling us here that once... Almighty God, creator of the universe, had a secret. But now, it's been made known. Once there was something no one knew about, not even the Old Testament saints, not even the Old Testament prophets, not even the angels, not even the devil himself. Nobody knew. It was in God's heart. And this secret was in God's heart as he created the universe. And this secret was in God's heart when he called Abraham out of Mesopotamia. And this secret was in God's heart when he called Moses to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt and out of slavery. This secret was in God's heart even as Joshua and the Israelites crossed the Jordan to take the promised land. This secret was in God's heart as David forged those tribes into a mighty nation. This secret was in God's heart even when the people went to exile in Babylon. God was still having this secret in his heart. He knew where he was taking the world, but the world didn't know it. This secret was on God's heart as a 13-year-old virgin conceived a child by the power of the Holy Spirit, and she still didn't know the secret. But it was always on God's heart, and it was always God's intention, but he kept it a secret. Isn't that amazing? A man called Andrew Leckie writes this. Little did those angelic beings realize as they witnessed God's power in creation, in fact, as they sang for joy, as we're told in Job 38, that God had a secret in his heart, that he was erecting a stage upon which one day he would introduce the church! And display the church to those angelic forces in all his manifold wisdom. But for tens of thousands of years, it was a secret. Are you any good at keeping secrets? Daniel, are you good at keeping secrets? Yeah, Christmas is a very dodgy time for me because I'm one of those people, I, I have very, a very hard time keeping secrets, you know. I think, what would Rachel like? You know, ask her what she wants, and she might say something. And if it's cheap enough, I'll buy her a secret one. <laughs> no. But then having bought it and having wrapped it up and having it secreted it somewhere in the house so it won't be discovered, 
you've got to keep it a secret for a week or two, haven't you? You know, and I find myself sort of just sort of leaking little bits or saying things. It's very hard keeping a secret. But it seems that our God is very good at keeping secrets. He kept that secret from the moment of creation right the way through. He kept a secret. But actually, you see, God had to keep that a secret. Because something needed to happen in this world before anyone could really understand what was on God's heart. And that's why it had to remain a secret until, until God could truly reveal the extent of his love for us. Until the moment that Jesus Christ revealed exactly what God was like. Until by his death and by his resurrection and his ascension into the heavenly realms, he dealt with the problem of sin in our lives and, revealed and removed the barrier that stood between us and the Holy God. Until the Holy Spirit came upon all God's sons and daughters with his anointing of new power and wisdom and understanding. Until we were ready to understand by the power of the Spirit what it truly meant to be God's I tell you the truth, Jesus said to Nicodemus, no one can see, as in understand. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. That's what the secret was being held in place for until there were people on the face of this planet who by the Spirit of God and through the blood of Jesus and his sacrifice and his calling were born again. A new creation ready for this secret to be unveiled. But once Jesus opened the door of heaven to us, and once he took us spiritually and seated us in the heavenly realms with him, with understanding, it was time for the secret to be revealed, which hadn't been made known to any other generation, God's great plan for mankind, the church. It is not, it is not an understatement to say that the church is God's only plan for the human race. His only purpose in the earth. Think about it. In the end, what is the only thing that will remain that's on earth now? It's the church. In eternity, it will only be the church with the Lord. And of every other human endeavor, Nothing else will remain. Nothing else will be remembered. And that's why you and I should be very excited. <laughs> because we're part of it. We're part of it now. We know the secret now. And there's millions of people out there haven't got the foggiest idea. As far as they're concerned, it's still a mystery. But we know, don't we? That's why we should be coming in here. We should be dancing around. We should be shouting out. We should be praising. Thank you, Lord, for letting me in on the secret. Thank you for including me in your great purpose, your great plan. Thank you, I'm a member of the church. You should get excited about it. How do you stir this bunch up? Is there a way of doing it? I don't know. <laughs> and we are. We're part of this. We're part of this church. We're part of a movement dedicated to planting and building and unveiling the mystery all around the world. 
The church is God's purpose from first to last. It was his purpose in the beginning. It was his purpose when he called a man called Abraham and said, I'm going to make you into a great nation and through you I'm going to bless the whole earth. And Abraham was thinking, a great nation. You know, he could, he, he, in his mind, what was there? Armies, you know, cities. He had no idea of this. And it's God's only purpose at the end of time. When John was there on Patmos, another guy in prison for his faith, God gave him this incredible revelation of the end times. And what did he see? And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. I saw the church coming down out of heaven, adorned as a bride. You see, my dear friends, it's never been about me following Jesus. It's never been about you following Jesus. You, yeah, we used to sing a song, didn't we? You in your small corner and me in mine. You ever sung that song? Yeah. Rubbish! No corners! <laughs> it's never been about every person pursuing their own private relationship with God and what's my ministry. Give me a form to fill in so I can find out what my ministry is. It's always been about the church. It's always been about the living temple. It's always been about the household of God. And that temple, that house, says Paul, let me tell you now, it's us. It's you in Ephesus. It's me in Rome. It's those guys who one day are going to meet in Victoria Station. Or near it, anyway. Joined together by God, living stones, chosen, shaped, joined together, united in Jesus. A people joined together to bring God's presence into the world. And it's so important what a great place to start your journey through the scriptures as a church. It's so important that everybody understands this. We are where God lives. We are his house. It sounds audacious to say it. We are his home in the world. Have you, have you seen it? Because if you've seen it, have you understood just how magnificent this house is? What this is, what we're doing here, the Church of Jesus Christ. Have you realized that's why you were chosen, that's why you were saved, that's why you were added? It was all for one purpose, to be part of this. Nothing else. Don't think you just turned up here because it seemed like a good idea and an exciting train journey on a Sunday morning instead of walking around the block. You were here and chosen for this. So that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. I've got no PowerPoint. I can't show a picture of it. I can only tell you, I've seen it. And I can tell you that Daniel has seen it because we have dreamed and prayed together about it. We've seen it. I can tell you that Steve has seen it because it took him from Cape Town to Clarence, Clarence to Dubai, Dubai to London, and who knows where next? Mission to Mars. <laughs> Have you seen it? I don't know how to put it. It's so important that you see this. And that's why Paul prays in chapter 1, which you've already covered. I pray. I'm on my knees. I'm calling out to you, you Ephesians. I'm calling out for you, Trinity Church, that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and 
revelation. That the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened. That you may know the hope to which he has called you. And here's the wonderful thing. We stand on the precipice of some amazing days because all over the world right now, through regions beyond and a thousand other movements, maybe 10,000 other movements, that prayer is being answered because he's opening more and more and more hearts, more and more eyes to this great purpose because once you have seen it, brothers and sisters, you can't just sit there. Once you've seen it, you've got to do something. When I first saw it, we had a record shop. It changed everything. You've got to give yourself to this totally. This is a 24-7 amazing thing to give your life to. And you're here not just to worship. Where do you go to church on Sundays? Oh, I go to Trinity Church in a hotel in Victoria, in London. No, it's not about that at all. You're here to help build it. You're here to serve it. You're here to share in it. You're here to reveal it to everybody you meet. Hey, do you want to know a secret? <laughs> do you want to know a secret? In the book of Exodus, we read how Moses encountered the presence of God at Mount Horeb. And God said to Moses, Go and get your people. And bring them back here. And Moses did. He went off and he brought two million people back to that one place and they experienced God too and they saw it. And God said to them, I will be among you. I will be your God and you will be my people. And he was. And he promised that they will become a great people and they did. And that same God is saying to us here today, in this room. Go and get your people and bring them here so that they might see and experience the glory of my presence. Because Jesus, my son, wants to open their eyes to see a greater nation than Moses could ever dream about or imagine. And he's calling us to go and fetch our generation. That's what this is all about. And call them out of slavery. Because that's what they are. They're bound, they're in bondage, they're in slavery, and we've been raised up to call them out of slavery to this place to experience the presence of God in his holy temple. And we need that constant reminder of just the actual importance of those words. Go and make disciples of all nations. That's our mission. And we don't have a choice as to whether we do it or not. It is simply go and get them and bring them here. You see, some of us in this room, we've been part of the church for a long time. Some of us have even grown up in the church. Some of us have become so familiar with just going to church and being part of the church and going to house group and doing this and the other and being on this rotor and being on that rotor. We may be tempted to think, oh, yes, church, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've added church to my life. No, 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 you've been added to the church. This is what it was all about. You may even be sitting there this morning thinking and congratulating yourself, I planted a church. Well, I'm here to tell you, buddy, just begun. Because this church is not going to just stay one church. This church is here to plant 
thousands of other churches across this nation and across the world. Yeah. See, the question that I want to challenge you with this morning is this. Is your vision for this church biblical? Is your vision for this church big enough? Great enough? Is your vision for London big enough? Is your vision for the UK big enough? Is your vision for the nations big enough? Because we have to grasp this fact. This is it. This is the only game in town. I don't know what your job is. It's important that you're there, but you're there to unveil a secret to other people. This is the only hope for the world. Church isn't just important. Church of Jesus Christ isn't only important. Trinity Church isn't only important. It is the mysterious, the secret of life itself. Is that an overstatement, do you think? No. It's why creation exists. It's why there's uh, the sun out there. It's why Jupiter's spinning around out there. It's why there's galaxies and black holes. It exists because God wanted to bring about a family of people created in his image to experience his presence, a family. That's why the whole universe exists. It's why mankind exists. It's why you exist at all. It's why you were born. It's all about the church. And if you don't believe me, let me read you again. Verse 10. His intention, when? When he created that first atom. When he threw those stars into space. His intention was that now. When is now? Now. <laughs> it's today. His intention was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose. How long has this been God's plan? Eternally. Which he accomplished. It's accomplished now. The plan's a reality now in Christ Jesus our Lord. There was a day when I went to work for the first time. Not for the first time. I went to work and for the first time I met Rachel. I walked through the door and someone said, there's a new girl in the office and she ain't bad looking. And so I fell in love. And The day came when we had to get in my Morris A40 and drive to Banbury up the A40 because the M40 didn't exist for me to meet Rachel's mum and dad. And I arrived at her lovely middle class house with a big wall around it and gates that opened when you hooted. And they opened up and we drove down the drive and I walked in through the front door of this magnificent house. Oh, goodness me, oh, I didn't know this about Rachel. What a catch. <laughs> but her dad took me to one side. It was like going back into Victorian era, you know. I'd like to have a word with you, Trevor. Uh, yes, Mr. Oxley. Yeah. What are your intentions with my daughter? I just met him, you know. I said, I love her. I want to spend my life with her. And I want her to have my children. Those are my intentions. <laughs> I think he was a bit surprised, actually. He didn't quite approve either, did he? <laughs> wrote Rachel a letter, we're troubled. <laughs> but we always want to know what people's intentions are, don't we? You meet new people, what are their intentions? They have good in my hearts for me, what is it? 
But listen to this. We are the people who know God's intentions inside out. And that really is something, isn't it? We know his intentions. And here's God's intention, the church. Here's God's intention, multiplication. More and more spiritual children in every nation of the world. An ever-increasing family of people called the Church of Jesus Christ. Those are his intentions. Living stones, one by one gathered, one by one cleansed, one by one shaped by the Holy Spirit, and then added one on another. Added and added and added and added. Living stones being gathered until they form a vast cathedral that fills the earth. Multifaceted. All ages, all colors, all backgrounds, all personalities. Millions and millions and millions of living stones. The glory of God displayed on earth in this community as the waters cover the sea. That's God's intentions. That big enough for you? <laughs> Up the road, there's a place called Westminster Abbey. It's big. I'll tell you something. It's not big enough because it's only big in size. It's not big in community. You've got to have a vision for a big community. Until there aren't any buildings big enough to hold that community. My dear friends, I'm here to tell you we've got a job to do. <laughs> that not only are you part of this building, you're also part of its construction. The Apostle Paul had two great revelations in his life. He had a revelation of Jesus. Have you had a revelation of Jesus? Have you? Anybody had a revelation of Jesus out there? Yes? He had a revelation of Jesus and he had a revelation of the church. And those revelations dominated his life, his thinking, his getting up, his lying down, is going out, is teaching. And in Ephesians 3, next week, you're going to see that his prayer was that we would have the same vision. That we might know the full extent of Christ's love for us, but that we'd also understand his great purpose for us in being together as the church. That we might really see it and realize it's bigger, grander, greater than anything we could ever ask for or imagine. Bill Hybels, I love these words. There is nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. I believe the local church is the hope of the world. I believe, he says, to the core of my being that local churches have the potential to become the most influential force on planet Earth. And if they get it and get on with it, churches can become the redemptive centers that Jesus intended them to be. Dynamic teaching, creative worship, deep community, effective evangelism and joyful service will combine to renew hearts and minds of seekers and believers alike, strengthening families, transforming communities and changing the world. Whoa! Wish I'd written that. Changing London. Changing the world. <laughs> and you look around the room saying, us? There's only 40 of us for goodness sake. 
Let me close with this. In Acts chapter 7, verse 49, in his great appeal to the Jewish authorities, Stephen quoted Isaiah 61 in an attempt to show the Sanhedrin that the temple made of stone just down the road from where they were in Jerusalem was now completely obsolete because a new house of God had just been revealed in the earth. And he quoted Isaiah and he quoted the Lord saying, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool, what kind of house will you build for me? Actually, in doing that, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Stephen purposely changed one important word in Isaiah's prophecy. Did you know that? Imagine that. Imagine quoting the Bible and changing it. Stephen did. Because the prophecy Isaiah brought actually said this. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? And that's a big alteration that Stephen made there. Because now, since the death, since the resurrection, since the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven and the coming of the Holy Spirit upon living stones, the location of God's house doesn't have to be asked about anymore because it's not in one place. <laughs> it's not in one geographical location. It exists wherever followers of Jesus are to be found, which eventually will include every tribe, every nation, every speaker of every language. So the only question Stephen knew that had to be answered now is not where is the house you will build for me, but what will that house be like? What kind of house are we going to build here at Trinity Church? And we've been given the answer today. The call upon you is to build a house that will reveal God's one great purpose in the earth, which reveals his great plan to confound the world and every ruler and authority in the heavenly realms by the way we live together. How are you going to live together? Not where you're going to meet. Not room, room, what room will you be in. How are you going to live together? Because you've been called to live together in unity, in grace, and in love. And that you are called, as it says in verse 8 that we've just read, to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Gosh, that would have been another message, wouldn't it? That would have been another message, the unsearchable riches of Christ. So I can stand. Because here's my message for Trinity Church on today, the 25th of November, 2018. Go for it! <laughs> Father, I pray that you would give these people such a vision, such an understanding, such a passion for this mystery that was held back for so many thousands, tens of thousands of years, but has now been revealed. Lord, give them such a picture that this is it, that they will give themselves to it. And people, as they come amongst these people in community, will say, yes, God is in this place. This is his temple, and I have found him here. I pray that in Jesus' name.